This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. So I'm not sure what I enjoyed most about that Columbus-Washington game last night. The Merzlikens-Wilson rivalry. Uh, Ovechkin finally ending his goal-scoring drought. Or the Washington Capitals social media team last night, uh, who, if you didn't see it, put up a glorious picture of a circle of Washington Capitals players taunting Elvis Merzlikens after the overtime as he made the skate of shame off the ice. Ouch. Hockey's change, folks. Uh, Tarek Al-Bashir, uh, no stranger to these parts. Uh, Caps insider at Monumental Sports Network joins me now. Tarek, how are you today? Doing great. What a game, huh? <laughs> what a fit. Uh, but it wasn't just the game. What, it wasn't just the game, though. Like it, it was, it was kind of so much more. Like let me let me start by let's you know, let's, let's do this. Let's start at the end and go backwards. Um, the social media post uh, at Washington Capitals uh, Twitter X feed with the the circle of players uh, taunting Merz Lickens as he went out, and just a little bit off to the right there, you saw Tom Wilson, and you saw. Alexander Ovechkin about to say something that we all believe started with an F and ended with a CK and everyone's free to buy a vowel in the middle there. What did you make of that one? So uh, I've been covering this team for about 20 years. I've been following hockey for even longer and I'm just a big fan and a big consumer of sports news. And I love looking at pictures. One of my favorite things to do when I was a kid was when sports illustrated showed up in my mailbox, I would look at the pictures before I read the words. I love the photos, and that photo should win an award. I mean, that was one of the best sports pictures I have seen in 2023. It told the entire story of the game. Uh, (laughs) uh, You know, and the best part of that, Jeff, is is Merzlikens is actually – I was so enthralled and encaptured by – I went back and I looked at the video to see when that photo was taken. If you go back and you look at the video, um, Merzlikens is actually blocking Dylan Strome who is saying three words over and over to, to Merzlikens. And it, it, it was not Merry Christmas, Elvis. It was something, something Elvis. And he kept saying it over and over. So the, the best part of the entire thing, you can't see Strom, who's just losing his mind, yelling in his direction. But just, you know, the, 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 the togetherness of the Capitals and the way they were kind of looking over at him like, you want some of this? We're all together right now. You're by yourself. Where are your teammates? Yeah. It, it just it said so much about that game and about the way it finished. It just glorious. There were um you're right about that picture. Um it, it's one of the best certainly that we've we've seen this season. There were two great pictures last night. I'm not sure if you had a chance to see the um uh, the Minnesota picture with Kirill Kaprizov jumping into the glass and it almost looks like he's jumping into the arms of, of Minnesota Wild fans at the XL Energy Center. It's another masterpiece. There have been some really great photos this year and last night we were treated uh, to a couple of beauties as well. Okay, so as we're working backwards here, so that was the social media moment. That's awesome. Then now let's go to the Alexander Ovechkin goal. His, wait a minute, let me check my notes here, sixth Goal of the season. Now he's 66 off tying Wayne Gretzky. Uh, that chase continues. Your thoughts on Ovechkin finally finding the back of the net? He needed that. He needed that in the worst way. The Capitals needed that. Um, oh, yeah. The fact that this team is still in the playoff picture with Alex Ovechkin having six goals. I mean, at this point in the year, I thought for sure there would be a digit yeah. in front of the six, right? It'd be at least a one six, not just a six. Um Mm-hmm. He he's struggling right now with confidence. You know, I, he said after the game, he had been repeating to himself over and over. If you just get that one, get that feeling back, you'll, 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 you know, they'll start going in more often. Um, and you look at his body of work this season. It hasn't been great. You know, there have been some games where uh, he's bobbled the puck and he just hasn't been able to get it to settle. Um, he's just, he, he's looked like, Father time has has been creeping on him for a little bit, and like maybe it's just kind of yeah. grabbed by the shoulder here. But I will say this: I've also become, in recent years, a big believer in analytics, and the analytics, his underlying numbers, actually show a player who is still creating high danger chances, who is still putting himself in position to score. His um, his his percentage is 
I don't have it in front of me, but it was around five or six percent going into last night's game. Yeah. That is not going to continue. That is going to turn around, and he is going to score eight goals in fifteen games at some point coming up. At least that's what the analytics suggest are going to happen. I would say the other thing that is that is encouraging in a season where there have been some discouraging moments. Um, if, if you're watching Ovi is the fact that he's still finding ways to impact games. He's setting up goals at, at a pretty high clip. I believe he's got 20 points, which is tied with Strom for, for the, the, the lead on the team. Um, you know, he, he still is can impact the game with a, with a hit at the right moment to kind of turn the momentum a little bit. He doesn't do it at the frequency that, that he did when he was 28 years old, as opposed to 38 years old. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, you know, he, it, it's not like, it's not like he's just out there floating around and, and not helping at all. And you just got to hope if you're a Capitals fan, if you're the Capitals um, who have done a great job, Spencer Carberry, first year coach, done a great job putting this team in position yep. to be in the playoff hunt with their leading score, not not uh, you know not filling the net the way he normally does. Um, you got to hope that at some point that turns around. And the power play, two goals last night as well. It's another part of the air game that has just not mm-hmm. been right this year, but. Again, it's five power play goals in the last five games, so maybe it's about to turn the corner, just like maybe Alex Ovechkin is about to turn that corner. Let's um, let's bracket uh, the Spencer Carberry conversation because I want I want to pick it up and I, I want to ask you about how he's, you know, whether it's uh, deployment or you know the the more defensive nature we see with the Washington Capitals. But I, I want to pick up on Ovechkin because, man, I've been talking to you forever about Alexander. You must be so sick of me by now. Oh, Merrick oh, wants to talk about Ovechkin and the Caps again. So so. Because there's been so many different stories around him, and we've seen a lot of different versions of Ovechkin. And sometimes it has nothing to do with him. Like, he's gone from being, you know, the lovable Alex Ovechkin scoring, you know, highlight goals against the Arizona Coyotes, then Phoenix Coyotes. Oh, poor Paul Mara probably still has nightmares uh, about that goal. Um, To being someone who was sort of villainized for a while. uh, Someone that, you know, had had his tinted visor taken away. Um, someone who you know talked openly about uh, going to play in the in the KHL and going to the Olympics all on his own. Like there's been a lot of stories around Ovechkin for a long time, so I can't help but thinking that the Ovechkin now going through a 14 game slump would be a lot different and more mature than if this happened in like the third or fourth year of his career. Like, did you see, I don't know, was there like a palpable anxiety? Was he, you know, gripping it too much? Like, I can't help but thinking, when you're in the league as long as Ovechkin's been, not that it just sort of slides off of you because you're still concerned about production, but I can't help but thinking, like, this must be a more mature Alex Ovechkin, and he's a lot better equipped to handle that drought that he just had. Absolutely. And um, you, you just look at where he is in his life. 38 years old. He's married with two kids. Yeah. You know, his his father, his father passed last year. That was a that was a big moment for him. Um, yeah. You know, a, a, a sad moment that took him a while to kind of get over. It. He's still grieving. I mean, um, he is a much more mature person off the ice. And, I, and I'll tell you this, Jeff, in, in talking to people in and around the organization and, and you know I, and and I'm around you know on a daily basis as well one thing that has stood out to me during the course of this drought um has been the fact that he hasn't changed the way he has interacted with his teammates yet his body language has not changed he doesn't slump his shoulders you know, when he goes back to the bench after hitting a crossbar um you know he he's not sniping at teammates and mm-hmm. and getting short officials and and you know he's still granting the same number of interviews he still gets as excited for his teammate scoring as he always has and and i think that um that is maturity um that is that is a man who is you know kind of comfortable with where he is and kind of understands that um you know where he is in his career and and that goals are going to soon become much harder and and actually we're seeing it now are much harder for him to score um uh and maybe 
kind of at peace with where he is a little bit. I, I mean, you know, another thing, and I'm kind of jumping around here, but, you know, I go back to last year. There were times last year, and I think maybe even conversations with you, Jeff, we talked about his pursuit of 99, and we were like, man, he's not only going to catch Gretzky, he might blow him out of the water and end up with 950 goals. And I would always go back to Alex, yeah. you know, whether, whether the recorder was on, whether the camera's on, or whether we were just talking off to the side. And he would always say, hey, Tark, a lot can change, man. There's a lot of time between, you know, 70-some-odd goals. And it's, I know it's 68. I mean, that's a lot of goals. A lot can change. Um, yeah. Injuries can happen. I mean, things can happen. And he was all it was it's funny that he was the one tapping the brakes and being the cautious one when everyone else was you know was gassing it up and going, hey, you know, um he, he's gonna she's gonna shatter the record. He's gonna make it hard for Austin Matthews to even catch him someday. And now I think you know he's mm-hmm. proven proven to be right that, that his he was he was cautious for um for for a good reason and, and maybe he kind of saw this slowdown coming. Okay, off the uh, off the Ovechkin page. I know it's tough when we talk about the Caps, not to not to make the whole thing about Ovechkin, but there's there's a couple of things here that are, that's uh, that's happening. Uh, one, um, don't look now, but Anthony Mantha's playing well, and don't look now, but Anthony Mantha had a pair of goals last night, and don't look now. Here comes my big question: What's happening with Anthony Mantha? For the longest time, we thought this was a player that the Washington Capitals were, you know, not so subtly showcasing around the league and calling around around the league. Do you know if that's still the case? So I recently checked in on him to kind of see what was going on there. And the Capitals were like, look, we're just going to let this play out. We're going to let the season play out. We just want to see uh-huh. how he does. This is a contract year. Um, we're winning when maybe we weren't sure what, what was going to happen um he's playing this is this is before he went on this recent tear here the last few few games but they kind of were curious to see how he was going to play going into the new year um and he has been quietly one of the capitals best forwards you know if, if i were going to rank the capitals forwards right now i would probably say dylan strome connor mcmichael he's been great probably, yeah and probably probably anthony mantha with a with a with a head you know with, with a tip of the cap to Alexei Protus, another young player the Capitals drafted. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, those guys have really at times been carrying this team. Um, but Mantha is is more of a, a more of a recent re- revelation. I, I I mean, there was a time earlier this year he was a he was a healthy scratching game two of the season. I mean, they yep. had to pull him aside and go, listen, Anthony, we here's what we expect from you, and here's what you're not doing, and so he had to have mm-hmm. that taken away from him. To kind of you know you know kind of snap him into into season mode, and then I think he came back and he had some, he had a stretch of good games, some games that were okay, and then he scored, and then he scored again, and then he got a primary assist, and then he scored again. And right now you're starting to see the confident Anthony Mantha that we saw a few years ago when he was in Detroit and, and he was racking up those twenty goal seasons. Now I'm not saying he's going to end up with twenty goals, but he's yeah. on pace. I'm, there is a very good chance, and the Capitals need him right now. You know, this is a contract year. Um, Alex Ovechkin's not scoring um, at the same rate that he has in the past. Uh, TJ Oshie um, uh, has been in and out of the lineup with injuries. The back end, I mean, John Carlson has been playing fantastic, but he's not scoring at the rate that we're used to seeing from him either. They need Mantha to step up and have a 20 goal season. They need Connor McMichael and some of these other secondary um, uh, scoring options to start filling the net and start, right. you know, or to continue to fill, uh, fill the net until maybe some of these more veteran guys kind of uh, uh, start chipping in at a more, at, at a greater clip. Um, I only got a couple of minutes with you here, but one thing that I wanted to make sure I got to. Because I'm watching this and I'm like, ah, oh, this is the moment for all for everybody around the NHL who says that the overtime has become nothing more than just this endless cycle of neutral zone regroups and regroups and regroups and regroups. Um, what was the feeling around the Capitals? Now, listen, they ended up winning in the shootout. Good on them. Darcy Kemper, perfect. Um, what was the feeling about the overtime against the Carolina Hurricanes on Sunday? Where I've, like, honestly, Tarek, I've never seen one team hold the puck longer in overtime, but only in their own zone. Like, they had a couple of opportunities. I get that. But still, like, they spent so much time with the puck on their stick in their own zone. 
people track this stuff and count this. It must be a record. I don't know that I've seen a team hold the puck that much in their own zone in the three-on-three. What was the feeling around the team, the organization, about that overtime? Because around the league, everybody was, this is what's wrong with overtime now. What are the Capitals doing? Sure. I I mean, look, I I think they would never let on to this. But when Darcy Kemper is in net, they are money in the shootout. I always feel like maybe they were trying to get that game to a shootout. I'm with Uh, you. I'm with you. I, I just wrote a story on this, Jeff. Darcy Kemper going into that game, or no, sorry, after that game, he stopped all three shootout attempts he faced. He's the only goal yep. in the league who's perfect. He's 13 for 13. Yep. He's 3 and 0 in the yep. shootout. Um, he's six foot five and made some tweaks to his game this summer that helps him move um it, it kind of in, in either way. You know, it was funny, he threw some goalie lingo at me and he even kind of apologized for it. He said, I worked on releasing my skate blades. And I was like, <laughs> Okay, what does that mean? What does that mean, Darcy? He was like, It's hard to explain, man, but it means that you go to either side uh, a lot easier than yeah. in previous years. And so when you're six foot five and you now are are not biting into the ice and you're able to kind of go either way in the shootout and you're just reading the goalie or reading the shooter. Um, that's that's led to a lot of success for him. I mean, he has not yeah. given up a single goal in the shootout. I feel like maybe that's what they were playing. Fantastic. For. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'm up against the clock here. Tarek, thanks as always for stopping by. Always a delight. Uh, best to you and your family, loved ones and friends uh, this holiday Thank season. And uh, let's catch up in the new year. Give me a call anytime, Jeff. There he is, uh, the great Tarek Al-Bashir with Monumental Sports, Washington Capitals insider. I have been talking to him forever about the Caps. You want to know about the Washington Capitals? That's the guy you call. Meantime, time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book bet local. Matt Marchese, you're going to come on a little bit later on for a year in review. It's only 25 minutes. We don't have enough time, but we'll try. In the meantime, what do you have your eyeballs on on Hockey Night in Canada tomorrow? Uh, that'll be Flames at Kings, Jeffrey. Puck line is Kings minus one and a half. The home team has won the last four meetings and seven of the last 10. The under has hit in four of the last seven between these two teams. Jonathan Huberto still continues to be a story. Uh, oh, for December. Like I was, uh, I was talking to Elliot about this at the, um, uh, at the beginning of the program. I don't, you have to really be a hater to take any delight in seeing what's happening to, to Jonathan Huberto. Um, probably no one feels it more than himself, who has to go to the rink every single day. And, you know, and at the end of every single game, there it is bagels again. You're just waiting for that moment where we start to see the old Jonathan Huberto, um, the one that was creative and one of the best playmakers and one of the best passers uh, that we saw in the game. I mean, we were talking about Huberto like we talk about, you know, Mitch Marner and we talk about Johnny Gaudreau. Now he's had his problems too, or Robert Thomas. You know, other great playmakers in the NHL. You just cross your fingers and hope that somewhere down the road, hopefully for the Flames, sooner than later, he figures it out. Well, they stumble across something that works with Jonathan Huberto because right now, that dog ain't hunting. And that's Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. By the way, Maddie, great outfit today. Hour two coming up. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome to Hour 2 of the program. Um, as much as we'll be constrained by time, Matt Marchese and I will try to do a sort of season in review so far. 25 minutes. Good luck. If you're like me, it feels like every single day is completely drama-filled as it relates to hockey. And we're just focusing on uh, the NHL. There's a whole other league coming, uh, the PWHL launching in January as well. So throw that log onto the fire as well. Uh, as far as hockey drama goes, uh, the NHL has seen its share both uh, both on and off the ice, and that uh, very much continues. And, you know, the other big bit of drama, and we'll see because I think we look at the Team Canada roster of the World Juniors and say, this might be a challenging one uh, for Team Canada. USA looks great. Sweden looks great. 
but that's why they play the games, Merrick. Uh, that's why they play the games. And this morning, uh, I watched the first two periods of the uh, Team Canada-Switzerland game as well. That was a game that was won by uh, Team Canada. That's just exhibition, though, folks. The real thing gets underway in January. Um, here to talk about that, Sportsnet analyst, also uh, the owner of the uh, of the Pro Hockey Group, uh, in which we can read scouting reports of players uh, on Cap Friendly. Curious about that association and what that relationship is like. Uh, our very own Jason Bukala. Books, how are you today? Jeff, I'm doing great. Happy holidays, Paul. Yeah, to you as well, to uh, your friends, your family, everybody in the Bukala orbits. Uh, all the best the holiday season and certainly in 2024. And uh, one of the grand traditions around this time of year is getting excited about the World Juniors. Now, as someone in your profession uh, who follows these kids and understands what a development tournament is, um, the World Juniors, or as properly described, the U-20s, is a development tournament. And it gives players a chance to sort of measure themselves off against, you know, uh, other players from Finland or the United States or um, Slovakia or wherever. Um, but for some reason in Canada, we tend to wrap this tournament in a Canadian flag and pour maple syrup all over it, and it becomes the be-all, end-all. It becomes an audit of where Canadian hockey is. Books, how do you see this tournament? Oh, that was a great summary right there. Every international event that we take place or take part in, whether it's the women's team, the juniors, the Olympics, it doesn't matter. That's how we are, right? We just... Uh, Mm-hmm. We're hyper about these things, and rightfully so. I mean, it's it's uh, it's something that we take a lot of pride in. So the way that I view it, Jeff, is it's kind of got a lot of different tiers to it. Um, obviously, you've got prospects from other organized. Like if I'm working for a team and I'm going to the event, um, I'll give you an example. Like when I was in Florida, still Al Tour, who was our director of pro scouting, he would come to the event with me as well. Yeah, and you know, and start yeah. to create a book on prospects because especially in the cap era that we live in, a lot of these prospects, excuse me, could become part of a trade scenario down the road, right? Then you got to get a full book on them and see what their value is like. So um, obviously in a high leverage situation for a couple of weeks, you can learn a lot about a prospect, good and bad. Uh, But it's also key to kind of put it in perspective at times. So, you know, Fantilli, for example, Adam Fantilli comes out of, uh, you know, Michigan Mm -hmm. last year at the tournament, then he's leading the NCAA in scoring, but, as you know, only one puck. So, you know, he ends up kind of sliding up and down the lineup <laughs> into a variety of roles. And, you know, you're, yeah. you're killing penalties and you're doing things uh, that uh, otherwise you might not do as much at, at Michigan. And it tells you something more about the player. And then, of course, you've got another layer, which is those those older kids that are just taking longer to kind of develop. And, uh, you know, Russo and that for Canada, for example, you know, is is he mm-hmm. going to be like a Thomas Millich if he gets the net and, and run the table and get drafted this year, you know, finally. So um, there's a lot of things that go into it. Uh, I will say this, though, by far the most fun event I attend uh, throughout the course of the year, for sure. I mean, especially, you know, the community involvement, yeah. uh, the kids are playing so hard every day and it's just a, it's just a lot of fun. Let me let me just pause on Russo there for a couple of seconds. Plays for the Halifax Mooseheads, uh, not property of any NHL team. Is that like I'll just be blunt? Is that because of his size? You know, like I, I've I've talked to so many uh, uh, so many uh, goaltending coaches who will talk about you know the reason the default to size is listen in a lot of ways sometimes you just want a goalie to make an accidental save and small goaltenders can't make an accidental save. Only big goaltenders can make an accidental save. Is, you know, the fact that he's not property of a team, is that just a size issue to you? To me, it is, Jeff. Uh, you know, he's going to have to prove it. Now, there are some guys in the league, you know, you look at UC Saros, uh, you know, Dustin Wolf's on the uptick right now. So they're setting the bar yep. for this type of goaltender to potentially have a chance, right? So, but you've hit it right on the head. Generally speaking, scouts in high traffic scenarios, when pucks are coming at the net from range through a variety of bodies, and if the goaltender is a butterfly guy and he elects to go down in the butterfly, as you know, uh, you know, four or five inches makes a great deal of difference, right? You know, he's taking up more of the quadrants in the upper part of the net. So um, it's always a concern, but I will counter that by saying that if you're athletic enough, like if you've got really good lateral push and 
you know, there's some butterfly goaltenders in the league that are giants, like really big guys. But when they go down in their butterfly, yep. they're leaning back on the back of their heels a little bit, if you will. If you, you know what I mean, they're not fronting the puck very well. And mm-hmm. they get smaller in the net all of a sudden. Like Jonathan Quick, to the naked eye, he looks like he's a six foot goaltender, doesn't he? But he's six foot two, you know, six almost six foot three, but just his style of play. So I think that we have to get to the mm-hmm. stage where just stop the puck, kid. Just stop the puck. I don't care how it happens, just make it happen. Yeah. I, I always catch myself around this time of year and, and this morning. Like, I watched the first two periods of uh, Canada, Switzerland, uh, the World Juniors in, in Gothenburg. And I always catch myself and say, don't make too many assumptions about a player based on one game at this tournament. Or really, in a lot of ways, the entire tournament itself. Like, this is a two-week slice uh, of, of a player's career. It's almost like... I mean, listen, you'll know this one as, as a scout. You know, when your general manager shows up at a game, you might as well leave because your manager's going to watch <laughs> one or two games of a player. And you've, like, you've seen three or four years of the guy. He's going to see this player play a couple times and go, I know what this guy is all. Like, I remember once, I'll tell you, I was at uh, St. Mike's Arena in, uh, in in downtown Toronto, and the Barry Colts were playing the majors, and everybody was there to see Brian Little. And this was his draft year, and I was talking to Maple Leaf Scout, who all of a sudden, uh, just after warm-up, just like closed his book and was like, you know, gathering his notes, and like, well, I'm going to leave now. And I said, well, the game hasn't even started. He said, look, John Ferguson just showed up. He's going to watch a couple of periods of Brian Little and make up his mind. I've watched this kid for years, but it doesn't matter because the manager sees what the manager sees. So I always catch myself and say, don't make too many assumptions about a player based on this tournament. Is that wise or is that faulty logic? No, I think it's I think it's wise. Like I'll double down on it for you. In the Vancouver World Juniors, uh, you know, uh, we had Dennis Senko and Heponiemi won two in in tournament scoring, yep. and obviously we were very proud of that. And um, you know, since then, Denny's been traded to Vegas, and Heppel has gone back to uh, to Finland. So it's not uh, it's not an exact science. Like it doesn't project um, necessarily one hundred percent of what you're going to get with the result of the player. Um, I will right. say this: uh, Dennis Senko was a heck of a pickup by Vegas. He's averaging over a point a game, and with Henderson, and he's still got a yeah. lot of upside for the NHL. But it just takes time, is what I'm telling you. And um, you know, it's very dangerous to just watch a small little um, caption and then come up with a, a you know a strong enough opinion that you believe that that's exactly what you believe in. Mm. And um, that that example you just gave me that's a fascinating one. And I'm going to tell you why because uh, back in the day, I remember going to scout St. Mike's and. I would actually, uh, so Brian Little, smaller, skilled guy, you know, puck possession guy. Yep. Uh, that's a rank that I valued scouting him even more in, if it makes sense, because there's nowhere to hide, right? Smaller. And smaller, smaller. Yeah, like it's a small barn and, and you know, let's see what he can do. Let's see if he doesn't try it. So I counter, I counter the strategy there with saying that you can actually learn more about a player uh, in those situations. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's what we're going to learn about with some of the uh, – even team Canada defenseman here at Gothenburg playing on the hybrid ice, like it's, they're going to be, have to deal with extra width, right? So we're going to see how these guys yep. adjust over here in Sweden. Yeah, I, I'm, I am curious, you know, how much of a factor that is because, listen, in North America, where they're going to be, you know, applying their trade professionally for however long they play uh, in the NHL, it's a 200 by 85. It's not this this monster monster sheet that we see in uh, in Europe. But who are some of the guys that you're most curious about at this tournament? Like, it doesn't have to be just Canadians. I mean, I know we're all... Uh, like I'm really curious to see, you know, Cutter Goche at this one. You just get that feeling that th- he's just gonna rip this tournament apart. Um, but who are some of the players uh, for any team really that you're most intrigued by this time around? Jonathan Lekaramak. He's had a real nice bounce back year uh, playing in the SHL yeah. over there. The Vancouver Canucks first rounder from a couple of years ago, and. You know, you and I were fortunate enough. We sat in the room. We got to know the prospect a little bit. And then, you know, we had a real yep. good feel about him coming into that Montreal draft. And then, of course, things didn't go as well for him last year. Suffered a knee injury. Really had to rehab hard to get back. Had a good uh, good summer of training. And he's hit the ground running at a much higher, more identifiable uh, level. And um, that's curious to me because the Vancouver Canucks, I think we both would agree, they're evolving and trying to create a new team identity and have a trickle all the way down through yep. the organization. So the buy-in has to be worldwide. So 
Uh, I'm interested to see. He's going to skate on the top line for Sweden. I'm interested to see if he plays to his identity offensively. But more importantly, uh, I, I need more secondary battle. I need him to go in and get it a little bit more often. And so I'm curious about that. Um, you talked about Goche. He's one of my favorite prospects on the planet, I have to tell you, because he's that, he's that oh, yeah. tweener, isn't he? He can play the game any way you want, Jeff. You want to play heavy hard. You want oh, to yeah. grind it out. You know, you want, you know, it's fourth and one on the, uh, you know, uh, on the, the goal line or whatever. You want to play that, I'll play that. You want me to rip it from the flank, I'll rip it from the yep. flank. You want to track me, I can do that too. Cutter Goche, like that's a great story for Philly. And Philly's been a good story this year already. That's a great prospect that they have on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Um, how about this guy, though? I think you really like him too. Lane Hudson out of uh, Boston University. Oh, the, yeah. Uh, oh, Montreal yeah. Canadiens draft pick. I mean, he's got some Quinn Hughes in him. He's 5'10". So I don't know if our listeners realize this or not. I'm going to share it if if we've got a second here. But when we were at the Combine with this player a couple years ago, he was really tiny. Remember how small he was, like 5'8", 5'9", 142 pounds, whatever he was. Where's the rest of you? Where'd the rest of you go? Where'd the rest of you go? He he went and had his body. um, I don't know what the science is behind it, but he had his growth played. He had his uh, he had his DNA basically examined by doctors, and he came to the combine prepared with booklets for all the teams, saying, "Listen, I'm just going to take longer to grow than, than my counterparts. I'm going to get to this size according to science." He's now five ten, 164 pounds or whatever he is, almost five eleven. So he's getting yeah. there, and more importantly, he continues to play that elusive offensive identity. What a what a crafty player he is. He's awesome to watch. Can I ask you about the combine real quick, just as a quick aside, you know, uh, we go every year and it's a key bank in, in Buffalo and, you know, I can't help but thinking to myself, I think I've asked you about this one before, you know, we're watching the kids go through all the different um, athletic events and, and tests uh, that they get put through. And I always say the same thing. Um, th- there's a rink right over there. Like, shouldn't there be some value in getting the kids on the ice? Like, all these things are, are fine and dandy that everyone's getting uh, getting put through. I remember Matt Nickel telling me as, uh, at one of the combines with Maddie, and I'm like, Maddie, as a strength and conditioning coach, you know, what do you take out of the combine? He said something really interesting. He said, you know, a lot of this won't directly translate to them as the player, but what I'm curious about in my profession is, where are they predisposed to injury? You know, is this firing effectively? Is that firing effectively? That That's the main thing that I would take away. But at the Combine, should there not be maybe an on-ice component? There's a rink right there, Books at KeyBank. 100%. I wish we could get to the point that we evolved like that. I mean... You know, we're coming to the end of the NCAA football season right now, and you know that there's going to be all those pro days that get lined up long before the NFL combine in Indianapolis. And what do they do there, Jeff? They run routes, they they kick, they, you know, they do all kinds of, the quarterback obviously uh, shows off his escapability, whatever. But I'm with you. Like, Mm -hmm. to me, I would be more interested in the biomechanics of the athlete uh, with his skating stride and his edge work and his quickness out of the hole and you know, maybe his handles where I can look at how he's holding his stick, you know, like uh, there's all kinds of different hmm. things that we can look at skill wise like that for a goaltender, you know, let's take a look at his, uh, his, his crease composure, his lateral push is quick. There's all kinds of things we could do better. I believe um, it's my understanding and correct me if, if I'm wrong, if you know differently, but it seems like it's an insurance issue. It seems like they, they've, the league has introduced this, this thing that's floating around out there that we can't get them on the ice because we don't want them to get injured. I would, again, countering mm. things here, but don't you think that somebody could uh, blow out a knee or pull a pull a hammy on that wind gate when we're seeing them dying on that bike? I mean, I think if you're going to get hurt, you're going to get hurt. 100%. Yeah, uh, I know. We, we say, I mean, listen, what happened? Well, what were we talking about last year at the draft? I mean, it was the day before. It was either the day before or the morning of the first round where, you know, Jack Quinn got Injured, not on the ice, yeah. but and he's just recently come back, but got injured working out, like doing those types of things um, that we see at the combine. Okay, um, every year at this World Junior event, or as is properly called the U twenties, uh, it's a coming out party for a lot of players. Last year was the Connor Bedard show, it was also the Adam Fantilli show. Um, this year, there's going to be a lot of eyebrows around Macklin Celebrini. This is going to be, for a lot of hockey fans, their first chance to see Celebrini. What should we know about him, Books? 
Well, first thing, let's hope he doesn't get suspended from what happened today in that exhibition game. You know, depending yeah. on the angle, it doesn't look great. You know how it is over there international, right, Jeff? So, But I digress, yeah, and I I'm going to tell you what what you're looking at with this player is he's a combination of, a, of, of three different players, really, for me. Like, he's got some – he's got the same trajectory as Fantilli, you know, coming out of the NCAA, producing at a high rate offensively in the NCAA. I think he's got. I've heard the Jonathan yep. Taze thrown around. Absolutely, all three, all three zones. He's a bulldog like that. He's also got some McKinnon in him for me, like backdoor ripping pucks in the power play. Like the the one thing that all three of those players have that I just mentioned to you is they're exceptionally competitive, mm-hmm. like relentless competitors. So what you get with Celebrini plays it quick, plays it fast, relentless compete, three zone detail. But by the way, I can take over a game offensively too. And oh yeah, if you need me to win a key draw in the defensive zone. We're, we're, you know, hiding a one-goal mm-hmm. lead with three minutes left, you know, on, on either side of the ice. I can do that for you, too. So he's trending complete player for me, not just offense. Uh, I love this guy. But most importantly, quick, fast, and relentless compete, and then the skill just takes over after that. Uh, and he's ticketed to go, as everyone knows by now, first overall. You know, in the NHL this year, we've uh, we've talked about a lot of players that we saw get drafted high. Certainly Connor Bedard, uh, Adam Fentilli, Leo Carlson. We cross our fingers with the MRI after Mackenzie Weger fell on his leg yesterday. He's had such a tremendous season. You hope that he's going to be okay. We're going to see Will Smith at this tournament. What do you expect from Will Smith? San Jose Sharks prospect. Um, and they really need to, you know, really sort of, you know, stock the shelves here with with prospects as as that team goes through a rebuilding phase. What should we expect from Will Smith? We'll see him a lot on Team USA, obviously. Well, Will Smith's going to be one of the players that carries the mail offensively for Team USA. This is a, another like Team USA. I'm not kidding you. They have 13 forwards on that roster. That honestly, any yeah, pick a name out of a hat. That any one of them could play in the top six of every team in this in this uh, tournament. Like they are loaded. Um, yep. But for Will Smith, I think what you're going to see is uh, Will Smith doing Will Smith things, which is really creative with the puck. Uh, there is a little bit of cheat to his game. Now that can be a good thing uh, or a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're loaded on the back end as well. They, the composure on the back end to spill pucks to open space, not necessarily go stick to stick on the bigger ice. That plays right into Will Smith's wheelhouse because. He'll pounce on a puck in the neutral zone, attack off the rush, and, you know, pick somebody apart. So San Jose's got a a future top-line scoring power play uh, contributor. Uh, He's he's, he's an elusive talent. It's going to be interesting, and and maybe it is a conversation for another day. But with where the Sharks are right now, Jeff, I think that you got to be real careful with this. Like, let's not rush them into something next year. you know, let's let's yeah. take our time here. I think two years of BC would definitely probably benefit him in the big picture. Uh, let me ask about Gabriel Perot. So again, playing on on Team USA, uh, you're right that that American team is absolutely stacked. Um, last year at the draft, Nashville really, and this is the 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 host city, had their fingers crossed, and it was looking good. It was looking close until the Rangers, who picked one before Nashville took Gabriel Perot. Now, I don't think they're complaining about Danton Matejchuk, who they took from the Saskatoon Blades. Real nice defender, but that was that was the player that they had ticketed. The Rangers have a really nice one in Perot. What do you look for in him? So the difference between Perot and Smith is that Perot distributes more than Smith. He's equal parts uh, finisher-distributor. Um, and again, he's real crafty in tight areas making plays. Where Smith is like one of those lurkers at times. He's not a go-get-it guy in traffic. He's a guy that uh, when he gets yeah. it, he's going to hurt yeah. you in space. So Perot's a little bit different that way. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say he's a heavy lifter because he's really not, but he's a calculating um, – he, he's calculating in how he creates turnovers, and then he goes to work. His skating's come a long way, Jeff. Uh, you know, it was a concern. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it was a huge concern. Minor plus concern, let's just say that. He's now he's now trending towards uh, he's definitely NHL worthy right now at his pace. There's another level he still has to go to, but uh, again, you know, a, elite offensive brain. He's obviously got the DNA from his dad. Um, you know, yeah. he's he's going to be a big part of Team USA. Um, did you see Matt Poitra coming this year? Like this has been a real good season for for Matt Poitra with the with the Boston Bruins. 
Um, they make him available for Team Canada. Obviously, Scott Salmon is overjoyed. Everybody is, is just overjoyed. Brent Seabrook, all of them are overjoyed that he was made available. But did you see this season coming from Matt Poitra? Not this soon, I have to be honest. He improved exponentially for me last year with his um, overall detail. I'm not going to sit here and say that he didn't. You know, he's a junior. They all they all play at certain levels of detail yeah. earlier in their in their development, right? So you got to kind of put it in perspective. But um, I really felt like he started to take that extra leap forward. In that he's not just going to be an offensive guy. He's gonna he's gonna give you 200 feet of effort. He's gonna play with good detail. Um, and but he was light right like he for me i felt like he had that there was a lot of room there for more strength i'm gonna say this though his it was a perfect storm for him going to boston and having a great training camp the boston bruins Mm. can insulate certain players on their roster their organization trends like you know when when bergeron goes out the door and krejci retires like when these people think well they're gonna take a huge step back but what what people have to understand it's a legacy in the Boston Bruins dressing room. When you walk into that yeah. room, the, it, it, the table's been set for you to have to play a certain way and do things a certain way. And so what a great thing for Potra to go in there, take his game to another level. I was shocked. To, to be honest with you, I was very surprised he came over because um, he, right up to the end, until his Friday night scratch before he got released for the World Juniors, like he was even playing on the second power play unit in Boston. So um, they obviously yeah. see the big picture there. But uh, good on the kid for preparing. Um, okay, let, let me dovetail this conversation in the couple of moments that I have left with you here, Books, and, and talk about some of the rookies around the NHL uh, this season. Like, I, I I know that Connor Bedard, it feels like he's running away with the Calder. Fantilli's had a real nice season, too. But the one guy that I keep coming back to, and it's going to be interesting, you know, every year that's one of the ones that I that I vote on, Um it's going to be really interesting with Minnesota defenseman Brock Faber. Oh. And there he is again last night, 33 minutes for Brock Faber. I know he doesn't have the counting stats like Bedard does. But then you can look at Bedard and say offensively, tremendously gifted. Defensively, that's one of the hardest things as you transition to the NHL. I keep swinging back to Faber and I look at all the things that he's been able to do in what I consider, you know, take no offense forwards, take no offense goaltenders, maybe to be, maybe to, maybe to be the most difficult position to transition from either college or junior hockey to, and that is the blue line. Do you have a thought on what we're seeing now from Brock Faber of Minnesota? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with exactly how you just ended that statement there. Dale Talon, when I was working for him in Florida, he always told me, so we, you know, we drafted Eck first overall, uh, you know, Aaron Eckblatt. And he's like, yep. it's going to take him yep. 250 games before he's 100% what we think he could be, at least 250 games. Like that's, you know, you're in your, at the end of your first contract cycle, really, aren't you? So um, Faber, mm-hmm. <laughs> he can't play 33 minutes a night. That's, that's asinine. We all know that. But this guy, when, Chicago Blackhawks started getting really good back in the day, and Duncan Keith became Duncan Keith. Brock Faber is a yeah. future captain of the Minnesota Wild. He's going to play in all situations, provide secondary offense. His agent, Steve Bartlett, one of my favorite guys on the tour, um, him and I had long conversation in his draft year. I was in love with this kid. He didn't get his n- enough love in my estimation back then, and now it's proving out. But you're talking about an absolute blue guy, top pairing D for, like, 15 years he's an absolute rock back there already providing yeah. uh, minnesota high-end leverage at, at such a young age it's incredible the maturity really it is uh it, now how do you again it's it's not apples and oranges it's so different that it's chalk and cheese because it's different positions and different players but you know here we are um you know we have saturday and then the nhl goes on pause a few days and we all sort of try to digest what we've seen over the first few months of the season uh if you were voting now because i may default to faber here as crazy as that may sound between connor bedard and brock faber for the calder which way would you lean books well 
I'm I'm leaning Bedard at the end of the day because he's carrying carrying the mail on a Chicago team. But let's be honest, is not very good. And he doesn't have a lot of protection. Like they brought in Corey Perry and Hall there to kind of uh, ride shotgun or at least protect him a little bit in that lineup offensively. And, and he's he's yeah. out on his own island a little bit. So I'm still leaning that way. But uh, there's two defensemen. You know, I would even suggest that by the end of the year we might. I mean, Anaheim's trending in a you know they're. they're kind of reverted back to where they should be. But like Pavel Mityakov's had a heck of a year too so far. So there's a couple of real good young defensemen in this mix here that uh, if Faber keeps doing what Faber's doing right now, he'll he'll be right there at the end of the year. It'll be it'll be him. It'll be like a one, two, three. You know, yeah. I don't he'll, he'll go by Fantility. It'll be a one, two thing. And people are gonna look at points and all that stuff. And you and I could talk about it the word blue in the face. If this kid ends up a plus player playing in all situations as a rookie, doing what he does, matching up against top six opponents all night long. Wow. Like that's, yeah. I can't off the top of my head as I'm sitting here, I can't remember the last defenseman came in the league to play that amount of uh, minutes and that amount of responsibility right out of the gate. I can't think right now off the top of my head. It's interesting because he could be someone, again, I might get be getting ahead of myself here about a third away through the season, but you know, here's someone that may not win the Calder, but maybe top five in the Norris. Like he's not Quinn Hughes and he's not Kale McCarr. Uh, I think Noah Dobson's in that conversation now as well. But Brock mm-hmm. Faber is probably going to be. We'll see the way he's trending here. He may be top five in Norris and not win the Calder, which is more of a comment, I guess, yeah, on Connor Bedard than anything else. But you know, when you when you measure him up, like to me, there's two new defensemen that have that have entered the conversation. Your point about Mitchikov, I think, is is a great one as well. And listen, Anaheim's got an embarrassment of riches on the back end. And we haven't even maybe seen the best one in Olin Zellweger yet, um, who's still applying his trade in, in, in San Diego. Um, but to me, the, the two new ones that have entered the conversation, uh, and they're not McCarr and Hughes yet, I, I understand all that. There is Brock Faber and there is Noah Dobson, who in a lot of ways is, is reminding a lot of people about um, Adrian McCoyne in the way that he used to munch minutes. I mean, every night McCoyne's like 31, 32 minutes, like on the regular, he's playing half the game. And Dobson also has some counting stats to go along with it as well. There's like To me, there, there's two new defensive sharks in the water in those two guys. Yeah, I... I agree with that. And it's interesting when you talk about Faber and Dobson, if you were to compare the two of them, um, both of them real good skaters, agile, different bodies, right? Like different size. Um, The one thing that, the one thing that sticks out with Dobson for me right now, and I've really noticed it is especially playing on the team that he plays on there in the Island. Like they, uh, they periodically struggle to produce offense. You know what I mean? Like they, they don't, they're not, they're not a juggernaut, but this kid, um, when scouts start talking about spatial awareness and identifying, you know, open space and stuff, he is finding quiet ice or his timing his pinches perfectly, or he's, he's finding the backdoor seam where the guys are getting him in the puck and he's finishing plays. So he has completely adapted and found a niche. Now uh, he's, he's on a significant uptick as well. It's taken him a little bit of time. Uh, not a lot of time, but, you know, it wasn't like right out of the gate like Faber. But, of course, Faber went to college and mm-hmm. played, you know, uh, at college for yep. a few years. So, um, I don't know. You're on to something there. It's good for the game, isn't it? That 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 secondary layer it's of great. real good young defenseman right now. Absolutely. Okay, real quick before I uh, before I wrap things up. Uh, I'm a big fan of Cap Friendly. Uh, I live on that. I think a lot of us do. Uh, I find I'm, I'm on that site all day long. It's a great fact check for a lot of things. And I love reading your scouting reports on almost all the players that are on there uh, through your pro hockey group. How is that? How does that relationship start? And how is it working out for you? Uh, we started conversations last year in the spring, and then uh, it kind of evolved up into the draft. And Jamie Davis, uh, the one of the partners there, we had lunch at, at our hotel there in Nashville, and we put something together, like a plan together. And it took a long time, Jeff. There's a lot of moving parts behind the scenes to try and melt, sure. you know, bring together all the scouting stuff. So um, it's been a it, – I'm loving it. I hope people are enjoying it. The one thing that everybody wants is they want all the information right away. And what we've presented a cap friendly with this yeah. is a full yeah. year's worth. We're trending like a hockey operations department. It's not like I just plop 32 mm. teams in September and say, here's all the players. We're scouting them. 
We're, we're identifying, you know, trends with all the teams. We're not even through the whole league yet. we got about five more teams to complete, and then there's going to be more historical data for the end of the year. But uh, it's like a pro scouting department within Cap Friendly. So when people go there to see, you know, oh, I want to trade Austin Matthews to here, and he's got to move the money around or whatever, well, what yeah, are we getting yeah. in return? They can go to the scouting report, and they can click on a player and see what the, their favorite team's getting in return. So um, they're a fascinating website. Kudos to them. They built a Oh yeah, an awesome product. An awesome product. Uh, they really have uh, the ProHockeyGroup dot com. By the way, is uh, is is Jason's sites. Uh, Books. Listen, all the best of this holidays, uh, the Christmas holidays, uh, to you, your family, your friends, everybody in the Bukla orbit, and uh, all the best in twenty twenty four. I know you'll be glued to the juniors, my friend. Uh, thanks, uh, Jeff. Uh, happy holidays. Enjoy the Christmas hockey tournaments, pal. Uh, for you there in your household uh, as well. You know the deal, Books. You went through it. You know the deal. <laughs> you know what it's like. Uh, thanks, pal. You be good. Have a great weekend. Have a great Christmas holiday, pal. You too. Thanks for having me on. Take care. The great Jason Bukala, uh, Sportsnet hockey analyst, and with his pro hockey group, uh, providing detailed breakdowns and scouting reports uh, of players at capfriendly.com. Okay, roll up your sleeves. Crack your knuckles. We're going to try to do as best we can a season in review so far with uh, Matt Marchese. Uh, stand by. That's coming next. Merrick Show continues. Sportsnet Radio Network. Also simulcast on 360 and wherever you get your podcasts. Maddie's next. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, welcome back to the program. As uh, as best we can here, myself and Matt Marchese will try to run down some of the more headline stories, not from the week, but the season so far. Good luck, because every day brings with it its new drama. And by the way, you kind of look like an Italian wears Waldo meets <laughs> Christmas today, Matt Marchese. <laughs> For anyone watching on 360, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't... Uh, check out some of the uh, other screen caps or, or retweets from uh, today's program. Looking sharp, Maddie Marchese. Looking sharp. Yeah, I could definitely sing the 12 Days of Guido Christmas pretty well in this <laughs> outfit. That's for sure. <laughs> Looking good, pal. Um, real quick, uh, what is Christmas like in your household? Nuts. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, we do Christmas Eve usually with my wife's family, both sides. And then Christmas Day is usually with uh, with my yeah. mom's side of the family. And then Boxing Day, what we do is I tell everybody, uh, my, my parents, my in-laws, uh, siblings, I just say, if you want to come over, you can come over. We're more than happy to have you. And I'm ordering pizza. So let yeah. me know who's coming. So that's the tradition that we've kind of <laughs> taken on because I'm like, yeah, no, I don't want to make a mess. Let's just have pizza. It's good. One of my favorite things around Christmas time uh, from one of our colleagues, uh, I like every year, uh, Anthony Stewart, whose sister always makes a Christmas lasagna, yes. which is apparently, which I, Stewie always sends me the pictures of it too, and it looks fantastic. Is there a uh, is there a off the beaten path dish? Uh, that you always serve around Christmas time. Uh, no, the odd one is that my wife's family doesn't eat fish, and that's like the big staple for Italian families on Christmas Eve. And I get no fish like any sure. year, so I'm kind. I get kind of dis- <laughs> I get the reverse, so it's not something that we get. It's something I don't get. Uh, no, but nothing too crazy. Right. I mean, we do a turkey usually on on Christmas Day, and and there's gonna be um, nice. football on, which is awesome. Um, so I, it's more time for me to not spend with my family, which is not what I should be doing. But here we are. Ah, what Christmas is for, ignoring <laughs> your family and watching sports. Yep. All right, as best we can do this, uh, we'll try. some of the highlights for you so far this season. And are you like me? Does it feel like every day is a soap opera in this league? Yeah, it really does. Uh, every day it's like something new, whether it's goalies or gambling suspensions or the hype trains or the Oilers falling off a cliff. Like, I was trying to figure out... Firing. Yeah. And- which we... You know what? That was actually... Uh, it's a good point by you because if I'm not mistaken, we didn't have a firing last year until really late in the year comparatively comparatively to yeah. this year where we've already had some before Christmas, which, again, not something that happens super often. So... But the the yeah. one the one thing that like for me the biggest story was trying to figure out which was the biggest disaster between the Oilers 
and the Senators because it was like both of these teams said to the Canucks of last year, hold my beer, and they did a really good job about doing them. For me, the biggest story has just been, I mean, I want to say the Oilers, but the Senators, with every, it, feel, it felt like every two weeks something was happening with them. Yeah, well, I think a lot of it stems from the fact that Michael Ann Lauer didn't get the team until late, and yeah. so they weren't able to... Now, listen, a, a few things were completely out of their control, right? Completely out of their control, like the, the Donov situation and that trade and the no uh, the no move clause and the subsequent penalty um the first round draft pick um was something that michael and lauer had nothing to do with much like when harrison blitzer bought the new jersey devils and inherited a punishment for for the Ilya kolbachuk yeah. uh, cap circumvention contract it was kind of similar but he had nothing to do with that hey thanks for almost paying a billion dollars here for an nhl team here's a penalty for dodonov uh, and that came with it, uh, the firing of Pierre Dorian. You mentioned the mm-hmm. gambling situation with Shane Pinto uh, and the forty-one gamer. Now, like if you're, like if you're, um, if you're Michael Andlauer, you must have felt like at the beginning of the season, like every time you walked out the front door, you were stepping on a rake. It was sideshow Bob time, smack, yeah. smack, smack, smack. Everywhere you went, you were stepping on, stepping on a rake. And I, I really do believe that with the Ottawa Senators, the plan was. For this year to be as calm and quiet as possible. They were going to go through the year with Pierre Dorian as the general manager, make the decision at the end. They were going to go through the season with DJ Smith as the head coach, make the decision at the end. But as we saw, that all got blown up. And I know Elliot likes to reference, and I always enjoy hearing him say it, um, his grandmother's great saying, which is, you plan and God laughs. Mm-hmm. That was the plan for the Ottawa Senators. But here we are a few days away from Christmas and quite the opposite has happened with the Ottawa Senators. But as far as being the biggest disappointment or biggest surprise as to what happens, like Ottawa wasn't supposed to win the Stanley Cup this year. Mm-mm. The Edmonton Oilers are yep. and still are considered by many a team that can win the Stanley Cup. And they stopped their losing streak last night against the New Jersey Devils in 69 seconds. McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Adam Ernie uh, with three goals that turned a 3-2 deficit into a 5-3 lead, ended up winning the game 6-3. So... Edmonton's walking a tightrope now just to get to the playoffs. Like they went from being one point out of a wild card spot to being five points out real fast. Mm-hmm. And now they're climbing their way back up. Tonight they'll face off against the New York Rangers. That should be a really good game. Two of our favorite teams to watch yeah. going head to head, the Oilers and the Rangers. But to me, the biggest shock, disappointment, surprise, however you want to put it. Um, the struggles of the Oilers out of the gate this season because sure. there are a lot of people, a lot of people in our shop, Maddie, that said not only will they, duh, make the playoffs, but they'll probably win the Stanley Cup. Eh, not too many people are saying that right now. No, and and the, the thing for me that was kind of the most shocking was it's not like this team had just ma- had a massive overhaul in the offseason. It's very much nope. the same team that returned from last year, and it's the same questions that we had. We actually probably said, well, you know, they played a lot better defensively when Matthias Ekholm got there, and they did, and they got maybe yeah. a couple more saves. Yep. They just they literally got no saves at, at the beginning of the year. They could not score five on five, and they were just kind of over-reliant on the power play, and it's balanced itself out a little bit now, but the question still remains. Do they have the goaltending to forget even make a playoff run do they have the goaltending to get to the playoffs be curious to see kind of what happens going forward here and and part of the other you know big storylines of this season is it felt like the year of the three goalie system in the nhl coming in every you have three goalies you have three goalies now there's teams with no goalies and that's been a really interesting kind of wrinkle to the beginning of this season because if there's one thing that we know you know it's it's we had this conversation about boston um, everybody talked about them trading Linus Allmark. Why? Why do you? Why do you want to do that? <laughs> Look at what you have. You have why? a luxury right now. Let's just keep things the way yeah. they are. Like keep good goalies in your system. That's a really brilliant yeah. idea. I'll tell you. There's a uh, Tarek Al Bashir was on in the first hour, and we were talking about pictures, mm-hmm. and we we're talking about the great picture from last night in the Washington Capitals. You know all 
in a circle after Ovechkin scores and they're all beaking Elvis Merzlikens of Columbus as he skates uh, to the bench to, to go off the ice. That is a really, that's a great picture. Uh, I had mentioned there was a Kaprizov picture from last night as well where he's jumping into the glass and it looks like he's jumping into the, into the arms of Minnesota Wild fans. That's another great shot. But for what you're talking about, with the three-goalie system and just the nature of needing as many goalies as possible right now around the NHL, ask Detroit what that's like. Yeah, There was a great picture, is it two days ago, Maddie? And it is a picture of Devin, Le- it's an overhead shot. It's a beautiful picture. It's Devin Levi in net working with someone on the team, one of the, uh, one of the coaches, while just underneath the blue line, both Comrie and Lukanen are watching. Oh, I hadn't seen that Two one. Two goaltenders. Well, it's it, it. This is the goalie picture of the season from a couple of days ago. I, mean, I think of uh, I can't remember which one of the Harrington Lasowski. I'm not sure um, which Buffalo writer had it, um, but it's a glorious picture. I remember looking at that, going, "That is the goalie picture of the year so far." That to me is the the gold standard for goalie pictures. Levi working two goaltenders watching. And as people remind us, for all those teams that have three goalie system here, uh, there's still only two nets in practice. It makes for an awkward dynamic. But you're right. This really has been the year of the year of the goalie, the year of the goalie controversy, the year of goalies and teams being scared to put goalies on waivers. Remember that was remember that fear oh, at the yeah. beginning of the season? The ta- we're afraid of Tampa Andre Vasilevsky <laughs> Afraid of Tampa Bay? Don't put up because Tampa's going to take your goaltender. You try to sneak one through, and the Maple Leafs slide Martin Jones in there, and Philadelphia Flyers sneaks one down. Like that was that was one of the, the the huge stories so far this year, and the goalie question and the goalie stories very much continue across the NHL. Yeah, it's it's uh, like I told you, Jeff. It's like relief pitching in baseball. You have the really elite closers that are good seemingly every year, and then everybody yeah. else they kind of interchange. Every other year, it's like, oh, this guy has a good year this year. He's terrible the next year, and then he's great the following year. That's what it kind of feels like where we're at right now. Um, yeah. How about we haven't even got this to this point yet? The Connor Bedard heart hype train, and you know, twelve goals, sixteen assists, twenty eight points in thirty one games. It's been a whirlwind for him with whether yeah. it be some off ice stuff in in Chicago, whether it be just all the attention that he's getting because he's Connor Bedard. And the, the thing for me is it's been impressive because he has handled it in stride and he's playing well and he's yeah. playing well on a team that has zero expectations. And for me, he's actually, ex- believe it or not, exceeded my expectations because I didn't think it was going to come this easy for him. And it's a team that might come back next year with Connor Bedard and Macklin Celebrini. Yeah. We'll see what happens there. About that. So Ellie and I got into this conversation on the, uh, yeah, I know, uh, got into this conversation on the podcast that came out this morning. And we're talking about the caller, and I was making the, like, I was getting the hype train going for Brock Faber, Minnesota Wild. Like what he's doing is remarkable mm-hmm. uh, in a really, really difficult position for, for a rookie to play. Um, and Elliot, I'm, I'm curious what you think about this one. Elliot thinks that, one of the factors for Connor Bedard, and it should factor in the voting, isn't just how he plays, but it's all the other things that he does around the game, handling all the interviews, all the media requests, all the promotion, all the, all the, all the, all the, all the, all the, all the. He thinks that that should go in to the full portfolio and package when you vote for the Calder Trophy around Connor Bedard. Now, someone like Brock Faber or Adam Fantilli or Leo Carlson or Luke Hughes or whomever doesn't have that in their file, Mm -hmm. but Connor Bedard does. Do you think that should factor into the voting? Just how much weight Connor Bedard is carrying on a daily basis? Okay, I'm going to say something, Jeff, and I don't want you to get offended by this, but this does not sa- this sounds like oh, something you would actually say rather than Elliot. So I'm kind of surprised cuz he this, <laughs> a, this sounds like something he would make fun of you for if I'm being honest, Jeff. Yeah. So I tell I, him that. Yeah, I will. Say why are you sounding like Merrick? I'm gonna oh, you text want to offend him. Free? Tell him you sound like Merrick. I'm going to tell him yeah, that. Yeah, do it. Say, man, you sound like Merrick on the podcast. So Oof. I don't you think see him blow his top. Yeah. I don't think that the other players should be like that should be a detriment for them that they don't get that kind of media attention. Connor Bedard's been dealing with this for how long? 
for since he was like 15 yeah. years old, right? Okay, not maybe not to the same extent being in an NHL locker room. That's different, but still like you can't fault those yeah. other guys because they don't get that kind of attention. It's got to be what you do on yeah. the ice, full stop. And uh, is it impressive what he's done? Absolutely. That doesn't take away from anything, but it's still what you're doing on the ice. By the way, I was looking it up. If I'm not mistaken, Brock Faber has the highest time on ice by a rookie defenseman ever at this point in yep. his career. And now, granted, a lot of that true. a lot of that comes with uh Jared Spurgeon being out the last few games. That certainly doesn't it certainly it helps him matter. be on the ice doesn't. more, but it's impressive. Like it is beyond we talk about how long it takes defensemen to get acclimated to this game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's he's doing it pretty well as a as a rookie. It's it's very impressive. I love him. I love watching him play. He, play, he, he plays half the game. Uh, okay, a couple of moments left here. I want to bring on producer David Sis, uh, who's new to the program. Um, as Maddie's role continues to change, as it becomes more of an on-air star here, our man David Sis has done a lot of the heavy lifting so far this season. Uh, I'm not sure. You got your headphones in. You're good to go. So David, if you don't know, uh, is not only a producer, uh, is a rookie as well. He's our Brock Faber. Uh, he's playing more than half the game. He's playing the full game. He is also... And this is really impressive, too. A scout for the Owen Sound attack of the Ontario Hockey League. So I'll put this one to you. Uh, knowing kids and prospects as well as you do, David Sis, how do you handicap the World Juniors this year? Oh, boy. Ooh, well, that's a tough question. Didn't have much time to prep for that one. We only got a couple of minutes, David. Don't go Broadway. <laughs> well, I think when you're trying to evaluate people in one tournament, that's where it really gets tough, especially when they're draft-eligible players. Not everyone's getting the same level of yeah. ice time. You go to the returning players a lot. But I think we take a little bit too yep. much from these tournaments and the performances. You know, one guy has goes a point per game, and now they're top five on the draft list. So I think it's important to, you know, temper yeah. expectations a little bit. Okay, who looks good to you, though? Is it, is it the obvious Team USA? Like, America looks fantastic. Does the Swedes look good? Like, who could be a, who could be a sleeper team here? You know what? I don't want to say a sleeper team when we're talking about Canada because... You know, they've won the last couple. They're never a sleeper team, but they kind of are in this one. I mean, we're not talking about them the same way we have. Like, Carson Rakoff is absolutely destroying the OHL right now. He's someone that we are really not giving oh, yeah. a lot of attention to. He's taken a little bit of time to really get into a groove with Kitchener, but this season he's showing what he has been able to do since his time as a U16 player. This kid is going to make an impact, I think, yeah. in this tournament. Well, one more thing I'll, I'll, I'll ask you about. Yeah. I'm most looking forward to seeing, like we all want to see you know, Macklin Celebrini, certainly, but I want to see what Cutter Goche does with this tournament this year. Is there one player, I want to see Adam Sakura too. Actually, I like him, speaking of Rangers. Uh, is there one player that you're most curious about at this tournament? Would it be a cop-out to say Macklin Celebrini here? Like I know that just seems like the go-to no. answer here, but I'm actually going to go back to Carson Rakoff. I, I think we, we saw earlier in the tournament that, or in the um, training camp that he wasn't getting the power play time many people expected him to. And to me, that's where, uh, you know, that's where he's kind of made his living so far in the OHL this season. So I'm really intrigued to see as the tournament goes on if he'll be able to get a larger role on that power play and really make an impact. Awesome. Uh, David, great job so far this season. How, it's it. not even halfway done, but you're doing great. Um, and I know Dale DeGray, who runs the uh, Owen Sound Attack, is a big fan as well. Um, David, thank you. Uh, enjoy the holiday season with you and your family. Maddie as well. I know you are uh, you love this time of year. I do. And you have a growing family, and I wish you and your family all the best uh, this holiday time and into uh, 2024. And thank you, gentlemen, for uh, being such a huge part of this uh, this season so far. Um, thanks to Tristan Marcagiani, who is filling in for Lance Kennedy. Lance is somewhere, taking a couple of days off, well-deserved as it may be. And Jen Rolnick, the mainstay. Um, this show on 360 has become a huge part of it. And Jen makes sure that it looks decent. Uh, thanks to everyone who took part in today's program. Jason Bukala, Tarek Al-Bashir, and Elliot Friedman. And to you for listening and to you for watching, thank you so much. Um, whether you spend part of your day or your full two hours here with us, we very much appreciate it. Uh, taking a week off, we'll be back in the new year with the Merrick Show. Best ofs next week and a couple of extra days as well. And then we're back in 2024. Enjoy the best of the holiday season.